0: Hello, welcome to another episode of Crowdworkcast with Andrew Barnett. Uh, this week's guest, Scott Detrick. Uh, Scott Detrick is a guy I met through the Sydney comedy scene quite a few years ago now. Uh, we used to see each other around the rooms quite a bit, and we always uh, we always got along. Um, but I didn't know Scott overly well until uh, in probably late 2000, or mid to late 2013, uh, mutual friend of ours, uh, one Matty B, uh, who's a, another comedian, Um, suggested uh, that the three of us might be able to do a show together uh, at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Um, And so uh, a little show called Three Blokes Telling Jokes was born, and we took it to the Adelaide Fringe Festival uh, in 2014. So uh, I spent, uh, because of that, I spent a bit of time living with uh, Scotty and Maddie in um, Adelaide, and uh, yeah, we we got to know each other very well, got along famously, and uh, yeah... friendship has gone from strength to strength. Scotty's, Scotty's one of these really interesting guys you meet sometimes in comedy who's he's got a really uh, interesting background. He's had a sort of a varied career uh, and very successful in many fields. So uh, you'll hear all about that in our conversation. So uh, hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy this episode. Episode two with Scott Getrick. <laughs> Starting off with the uh, premise of the podcast, what's your name, buddy? My name's Scott Detrick. Scott Detrick. Uh, I I kind of knew that one already. And uh, all right, let's go into our crowd work. What do do you do, Scotty?
1: What do I do? That's a good question. Um, I do many things, but I guess what pays my mortgage? Is that what you want to know? Yeah, I
0: suppose. (laughs) Full full disclosure to anyone listening, um, Scott's a comedian, uh, a good mate of mine. We've worked together many, many times. But uh, also has, uh, has an interesting uh, career. Um, so what is it that pays your mortgage? Obviously, yeah, it could be with comedy. I mean, yeah. as successful as yourself.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about that. But um, yeah, um, the easiest way to explain what I do for a job, I'm a creative in the advertising industry. Um, and people go, okay, cool. What does that mean? And yeah, I love,
0: this... I love this modern jobs. It's, yeah. No one does something specific anymore.
1: No, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a whole job title, just putting my job title aside for a second, there's a whole job title that comes up a lot in kind of documentaries and stuff at the moment, which is Futurist. Futurist? Have you ever seen these people? Yeah, which I find fascinating. You know, they're, they're just hypothesizers, if that's a word. Yeah, uh,
0: I feel like that's what I do most of the time. Yeah, right? Like, aren't we all futurist? I didn't, I didn't right? know I could get paid for it. Yeah, <laughs> no,
1: you can have a title, you can have it on a business card if you really want to. Right. Um, yeah, no, so the easiest way to explain what I do is I, I come up with ideas for ads.
0: Sweet, so Mad Men style stuff. Yeah, well, you know. That it, is how uh, I picture your workplace, by the way. That's though. how everyone pictures it. You and call then... some girl in from the typing pool, <laughs> sexually harass <laughs> her, slap her on the ass and tell her to get back there.
1: Yeah, not quite like that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, a, a popular misconception at, the, at this point in time because of that TV show that... Uh, we're all drinking bourbon and smoking in our offices and the reality is everyone works on a big in a big open plan office in most agencies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say a lot of the creatives on Mad Men weren't in open plan offices.
1: Right? No, well everyone that was how it used to be. Everyone had an office or a creative team, a copywriter and art director would have an office together that they would share and that'd sort of be their um their little dojo to create things and go crazy. But yeah, it's uh it's all open plan now, which is seems to be most industries are going that way just so you can check whether or not people are looking at facebook all day i guess
0: <laughs> yeah well that's that's uh that's become more of a problem than it probably was at uh yeah. the era of Mad Men. so you're a creative so you yeah. think of you basically think of ideas for ads how does yeah. how do you get into that like that doesn't what what your background specifically is
1: i actually started my career as a graphic designer so through yeah, being a graphic designer, then becoming an art director. Um, You've that, had a lot of what? What exactly is that jobs, haven't
0: you? A lot of these. Types.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're really hard to explain. And then, and then you get into the more confusing area of um, art directors and art directors. So, an art director for film um, is very, and which I have done, is very different to being an art director in advertising, which was very different to being an art director in a design studio. So they're. It's all the same title. What about but... an
0: art gallery? Do they even have art directors?
1: Uh they have curators. Curators. So, yeah.
0: See, so this is the thing. Like, it's it's amazing with the titles. Like, we we, you know, you've got all these titles now that are like jobs that people have to explain. I did mm. crab work uh, the other day at a at a gig, and I had a guy I said, "What do you do?" Mm. And uh, I was flummoxed because he just said, "I'm a bricklayer." Right. And I'm like, oh, yeah, nowhere to go because. Yeah. <laughs> Can't make fun of what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. no, it's uh I lay bricks. Yeah. yeah Fair it's, enough. It's there in the title. So you're you're graphic designer. So how long have you been doing uh how long have you been in advertising?
1: I've been in ads for like probably for about eight years now, eight nice. and a half. Um but you know, I didn't just kind of fall into it from unrelated activities, you know, it was um yeah, I spent a lot of time marketing other brands and when i was freelancing before i was in advertising i was yeah building up building up building brands building as they brands. say yeah nice. a, so i how... hate myself as i say that
0: <laughs> how does it work though What like what's to take me through like just from from go to way like your like when a job comes in mm. um do you like i know on uh like um was it uh, Bewitched, where he was in advertising?
1: Yeah, he was, right? Yeah. Okay.
0: So, I know then he was always pitching for the big account. And, yeah, yeah. And that client would want to come around to his place for dinner. For dinner, right, yeah. 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 Which uh, would work massively for you because uh, give, give Mandy's uh, website a plug.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, um, if anybody is interested in culinary, the culinary exploits of my fiance, go to chewtown.com. Yes, and uh, um,
0: having uh, having tasted the culinary exploits of uh, of Scott's fiance, well worth it. Mm. Um, yeah, that's where you if you were in that situation, the bewitched situation. Yeah, actually, I'd, I'd smash
1: that, wouldn't I? I? I should really be working the system a bit more and having people round for dinner. I never thought of that. Yeah, much I mean, more,
0: much more old school approach.
1: Yeah, like maybe that's a, a yeah every every kind of business technique. Not not once again, I hate myself saying that, but. You know, businessy sort of things like that, which I've never been that guy. Like, and especially being a creative, your you, your job isn't to be that guy. Your job is to wear cool sneakers and come up with ideas. So you you don't think about the business side of things. But I guess as you get older, or you might consider starting your own business, you start thinking about it and you go, "Oh, yeah, I probably should invite people around for dinner, or turn up to those drinks, or something like." And yeah, work, do the whole networking, schmooze, thing. you know. Like, and I've, I spend enough time. Doing that in comedy just to
0: get gigs, yeah, that is. <laughs> it, that's one of the uh, the most uh, the most uh, difficult things to first understand when you when you start in the open mic scene. It really is about being around and
1: being present just, is the first thing you need to do to get into comedy. I found was just be present. Like you, you don't. Stage time came second. Yeah, exactly. People just knowing that you're around. The um, only
0: way to get stage time is to be present. Yeah. They can't give you stage time unless they know you're there.
1: Yeah. Or that also just the last minute throwing you on, you know, you had an opportunity for that, you know?
0: Yeah, um, exactly. So so yeah, so in the um so do you pitch for jobs? So like is it the thing where like um a client will be out there saying, you know, we've they've got something and you get a whole bunch of Different agencies compete, or yeah, yeah. So that definitely or... happens.
1: Yeah, so we'll, we'll from time to time pitch for new business, and um, yeah, we'll be up against any number of other agencies, and we'll all, all the agencies will get the same brief, and then basically you go through and you you show those people what you think, you know, their advertising should be for product X or you know whatever the service they provide. Nice, um, and yeah. Give them the confidence that you're going to be the best people going forward to take care of that.
0: So basically, a, br- a brief will come in to your office, and you you go away. How many? Like, do you work on your own, or do you work with people, or how does that work?
1: Yeah, I mean, in in a pitch situation, you know, because it is new business, you'd usually you know throw a few people at it, um, get a few people working on it. But so there might be a few creative teams, um, usually uh, you know led by a creative director or a creative lead of some sort, and then yeah there's a we've got a whole you know there's a whole bunch of accounts people as well that that manage the business side day to day and um yeah so they they would sort of corral everyone and work out when things need to be done by and Have you had so-so. a
0: situation where you're just like look this i i you 'cause just you you've got no connection to the product and you're just mm. like i've I've got nothing, I don't know how to sell this
1: I've been pretty lucky, you know like you do get situations where you know, it's more and more common for people to be vegetarian or vegan and then and they might have to, you know, market a product or come up with ideas for, for something that, you know, obviously has to do with animals in some way or something that they they don't believe in, you know, they, that's quite common. Um, so, they, I guess they've got to work their way around that. I've been pretty lucky though. I, I, I've i never really had to work on a product where I've just thought, no, nah, this is, it's morally bankrupt or anything like that. It's And it... All the stuff that I've worked on has done what it says, and all that sort of stuff. So,
0: oh, that's all right. But it's never something like you're just like, oh, this is a boring.
1: Oh, look, there's more interesting and there's less interesting. I, <laughs> my, that, my, that, that, but that's just the nature of life, I think. My
0: big fear, I suppose, would be like just getting a product that I didn't understand, yeah, in any way, no, shape or form.
1: Yeah, I like you, you know from our our history and the time we spent together and the other podcasts that we've done that. I don't know a hell of a lot about sport. You know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. um. So yeah, there are times where you have to work on a client that that has you know sport involved. Yeah, they come and
0: Scotty, we need a new uh, package for the NRL. And you're like, which one's that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Is that the 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 tall people or the short people? Uh, no, no. Oh, no I, I, I I know the basics of all that sort of stuff, but um, it it always helps. And I've always been lucky to work with have partners at work that were really into that stuff. So they it, it, you can you can still come up with the ideas. And just knowing what the sport is and how it works. But what really helps, you know, move an idea along, especially in the sporting world, is you have ambassadors, right? You have the famous people that,
0: yeah. you know, that have
1: a personality. or And that that's what all the, the best ad campaigns using those people will be, generally is picking up on some interesting part of who that person is or something like that. And you just don't know that if you don't follow that sport, you know.
0: Yeah, it, it and look I'm a I'm an unashamed uh, cricket tragic. Yeah. And I've seen a few ads um I have if, if, every summer.
1: You're 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 on my speed dial for that cricket brief I get <laughs> to work out who's who's the cool people to talk about, that's for sure.
0: Well, that's that's one of the things too. Is like every summer there's always one ad where they're someone's playing cricket or um you know, playing cricket on the beach or in a backyard or something. And you can tell that whoever's filmed it has never played cricket, doesn't? Yeah,
1: play and them. like we're really careful as an agency generally, uh, you know, to make sure that anything we do is authentic. And there's enough people around, and 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 that'll come down to the decision of who's working on something too. You know, if there's a car-related thing at, at, at work, I'll you know it'll more often than not come my way because I know a lot about cars. I am a car, car guy. guy. You know what I mean? So that yeah, that you, you played a.
0: Creatives' strengths you know like what they know about yeah so you um so before you've been in advertising about eight years before that mm. um graphic designer you've worked some interesting places yeah i um yeah i just going on the the car thing mm. were you at dais i was yep dais x machina yes yeah so, i was there was, for a couple of years what was your job there
1: i was a designer art director yeah um i basically i, I I could probably rewind it just to explain it quickly as to how I ended up yeah. there. Go, go um, Because I, I started my career as a graphic designer, obviously, and I was you know pretty fortunate at a young age to um, start working in a place called Mambo, a surfwear brand, Mambo, which most people will remember. Um, and I was there for 10 years. And so through being there, I, I worked with Dead Jennings, um, who was the founder of Mambo. And um, yeah, after he sold Mambo, he started Deus Ex Machina. So, I left Mambo on the Friday and I think I was at Deus on the Monday. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Did um, you have a good weekend off? Yeah. Um, it it was great, you know. it was and, and it was as Deus was just starting, it was, it was very much um, a pretty small operation and I was just working with um, Carby Tuckwell who is the design genius behind Deus. Um, so, all that sort of illustration style and the way everything looks, that's all carby. So I, um it was cool. I got a chance to work alongside him and um yeah, I was i was sort of there three days a week for a couple of years, helping them get it started and get, you know, putting my input in what I, what I knew about from making pictures into fashion stuff. And we did the first couple of ranges of clothes and yeah, it was good. It was good fun. And it was, I, you know, i not particularly a motorbike guy, but it was good to be around.
0: Oh, that's that was going to be my question because I know like Deus obviously the the motorcycles, but um, and you and this is something I find there's guys that are into all sorts of like vehicles, anything with wheels yeah. and a motor. They're in. I think there's uh, guys that are way into cars and there's guys that are way into bikes and sometimes not not so much into the other. Yeah, but I, like even though I'm not
1: massively into motorbikes, if you're into motorsports and that world. Yeah. Anything driven by petrol, you kind of have this common understanding, and a car. I can talk to a real tragic bike guy about cars, and that person he'll understand. You know, he won't know the nuances that I do, and vice versa. You know, like. But it's he, still pistons. And... It's still
0: you know yeah, it's still horsepower. Yeah, you know? exactly, <laughs> exactly too, and especially on the motorsport, um, the motorsport front too. There's a lot. Of, I think there'd be a fair shared respect. Yeah, yeah. Person. Everyone, everyone understands. Have you ever been to the, the seen the the superbikes or anything like that?
1: Yeah, like I used to actually be really big into going out and watching I used to watch a lot more motorsport than I get the time to do now. Um but yeah, I used to go out to Eastern Creek and stuff like that and watch the five the
0: hundred C superbikes and yeah, it, I, I was really into it. I remember going out to um see oh because I'm not not huge motorsport fan, like I mm. but I do like going to like seeing that sort of stuff live yeah. is amazing.
1: Yeah, me. you sort of understand it when you see it live because you can feel it, you know, feel it in your bones.
0: Oh, I remember going out to Eastern Creek and seeing, um, watching the bikes there mm. and just seeing at the end of the straight, they're jumping on the brakes so hard that the, the back wheel just yeah. comes off the ground. Just Yeah, push. yeah. And just like having, like seeing how quick they're going and then how quick they're braking. Yeah. that. Must be the most terrifying thing for the guy on the bike. It (laughs) it does really... Yeah, you're right. Like, live, you get the real feel for... Yeah.
1: Have you ever been out to the drag races?
0: I haven't been to the drag races. I've been to some V8 racing. Yeah, if you ever get a chance,
1: go to the drags, but go on a night when they're running the top fuel dragsters, which are the long, skinny ones with the little wheels and the big wheels. Not, Um, Not a funny car, man? Oh, no, I like funny cars, but there is something else about a top fuel dragster, you know, Pound for pound they they've got more brake horsepower than an F one eleven. So crazy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And to to do a quarter mile in under five seconds, I think those guys are like fighter pilots, they're only allowed to do two or three passes a day legally because oh, wow. it'll have, you know, too much effect on their physiology, like their brain, you know, gets squashed against the back of their skull or whatever. That is crazy. Whatever's happening, yeah. They pull in too many Gs.
0: That's yeah, that's outrageous. Mm. There, there's something about seeing those cars too, where they've basically got bike tires on the front, yeah, and truck tires on the back. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, and they just—if you're there, especially at night, because the, the the flame that comes out of the thing lights everything up. But if you're right at the start line, anywhere near the start line, when they two of them light up side by side and go, it it goes through you. The sound just goes through. You, you can feel it inside you. It's amazing. Like a. Oh.
0: I remember when I was at high school, I had a um, an industrial arts teacher, who he was he was an older bloke. Like I think he was retirement was retirement was very close in sight, and he sort of <laughs> he's an industrial arts teacher anyway, so they're not the most normal people. Yeah, and and he just was like, he just couldn't get any real anything. He was just like real like uh, low key, low energy, couldn't get excited about anything. But yeah. his son rode. Um, the drag bikes.
1: Oh, wow. That's that's probably the most as full on as it gets.
0: Yeah, well, if you asked if you started talking to him about it cuz he worked on the bikes with his son all right. of a sudden like it was like, you know, this guy that you wouldn't be surprised if they just come in and said, oh, he passed away in his sleep overnight. Everyone would just be like, oh, well, he had a good run. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, he seemed that old. Yeah. Then, <laughs> then all of a sudden, you talk to him about the bikes. It was like talking to a 26-year-old. But right, he was yeah. Just and that's what he got excited energy. about. Yeah, his eyes would light up. It was amazing.
1: Yeah. No, it is, it is like that. And it's definitely one of those things where, you know, not like music or anything like that, where you, if you talk to an old bloke, you know, or someone that's been around the scene for a long time, that's just as enjoyable as talking to someone that you know really, you know, that's about your age and's growing grown up with the same cars or whatever. It's just as much fun, actually more fun. You'll learn more talking to some old bloke about it, you know. It, well, that,
0: and that, the thing too is I think, I think motorsports get like, uh, sometimes they get written off as, ah, oh, it's, it's Bogans or whatever. Which it is. Which probably. it is. <laughs> but, like, too, talking to him, like, I learnt more about the, like, you just realising the amount of science that's going into it. Oh, yeah. Because like, they're talking about the. He was talking about, oh, you, you know sort of have the tyre underinflated so it gets the grip to go. Yeah, You don't yeah. want it too underinflated because then you're you And know, they're constant, well and drag.
1: And it is through, uh, yeah, it's very much, it's very scientific because it is through a series of experiments that started the first day someone said, how fast can this car go between this line and this line? Yeah that's when the experiment started and it's still going today. They're constantly tinkering and playing and within the scrutineering that they have to go through, trying to push the boundaries of what that vehicle can do, you know? And and so, yeah, I mean, there's no secret as to why the Ferraris and, you know, you know all those sort of Mercedes, they've got motor racing um, programs, you know, apart from the fact it's a great way to... To brand, brand, and market yeah. their product, associate yeah, it themselves. Always with... comes down to branding with you. don't Yeah, it? <laughs> but associate themselves with something sexy, but that yeah. they are also they are genuinely trying to work out more efficient ways to do things, and and that trickles down, you know.
0: Oh mate, I remember I um I met a bunch of years ago. Now I was in Melbourne, um, just before the week before the the Grand Prix. Oh yeah, and I was staying in a hotel near uh, Albert Park, and sort of um, so I'd jog around each go for a run, you know, every now and then, just go for a run around the park. And it was interesting jogging that week as they sort of turned it from just a park yeah. to the F1. But we had some guys, uh, a couple of the teams, the mechanics, staying in, um, staying in a hotel. Yep. And, you know, the, the, the guys that I went to school with who went on to become mechanics hmm. didn't really fit the stereotype of these guys. These were, right. like, probably the nerdiest sort of guys. Everyone was a immaculate, yeah, dressed, yeah. They were very... They just struck you as very... It's pretty serious, guys. yeah. But then you realise... I could just imagine
1: know. them all at the buffet at your hotel at breakfast, you know, sort of just neatly, quickly compiling yeah. their tray as they all moved yeah. along. <laughs> there was no big lines. And no. They in and out nice and <laughs> They'd all eaten breakfast within 10 minutes and they were out.
0: <laughs> yeah, you had, you had one guy that had scooped the eggs, one guy that had... <laughs> but, they, they, but that was the thing. Like, they were... Like, you realise how... And then you watch. Like, when you watch it, you realise those um, pits... Yeah, are incredibly precise. They're super clean. Everything's they know exactly where everything is and they yeah. have to be super organized and like that. They're meticulous. Yeah, people, which is the flip side to um to I suppose the guys at Bathurst on the hill drinking a carton a day <laughs> is the guys working in the pits who are actually at heart more probably more mechanical nerds.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, it's interesting a, a lot of those Yeah, any of those kind of pursuits um the the people that are really good because I look, you know through having muscle cars and stuff like that I've known a lot of people that are mechanics and stuff that have obviously helped me with my cars and things like that and yeah more often than not they're not you know they're not some dude in a in a wife beater with a cigarette hanging out their mouth they're some quite technical you oh, know yeah, they're good knowledgeable good nerdy person that knows exactly how to Put something together. You know? it's,
0: it's funny. It's the it's the practical application of all the physics that you yeah. learn in school. That you went. When's this ever going to be useful? Yeah. Well, those guys, you know, they know a bit. They actually used it, not like yeah. us. Like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. They know. They're not, well, they're not, creatives, so <laughs> they're not creatives. That's um that's interesting. Okay, I want to go back now. So to Mambo. Yeah. yeah. Um, because that is, uh, for a guy like my age, mm. um, Mambo was huge when I was growing up like that was if you had your mambo clothes all that sort of stuff it was it was just a a mammoth brand here sort of iconic
1: yeah part of the culture
0: how so what was what was your job there what did what did you do
1: well I I was it was actually I I did a bachelor of design um at uni and it was actually while I was still in my last year at university um I'd sort of Worked in a couple of places um, because I wasn't at university. I was only at uni in my last year, I think one day a week or something like that. So I was working at a few project-based kind of places doing graphic design. And then, yeah, I I was really fortunate while I was still there to to get a gig um, four days a week at Mambo. And um, just sort of started out almost like an intern. And then, yeah, just I worked really, really hard um, to make sure that at the end of that year, I was still there.
0: So, you designing stuff that would go on the clothes and...
1: Yeah, I mean, in the early stages, you know, I wasn't necessarily trusted to do that because I was, you know, new to the game. Um, But yeah, I I, um, was more working with... The artists and working with, you know, what they had done and turning it into stuff, you know, it might become a window display, it might need to go on a t-shirt, it might become a, some yardage, um, it might be a little application for something that goes onto a bag or a watch or a your towel or whatever it was, it was basically taking all that stuff and applying it to products, you know, and and working out how that was going to look best.
0: So how many artists were there? Because obviously it's the the whole uh, mambo itself comes from Reg Mambasa?
1: No, it's a popular misconception. Okay. But certainly one that was never discouraged by Dare, you know, if, if people thought that, that was fine because... Reg was a you know, a great artist and, you know, he was in mental an active member of mental as anything at the time. So great band. everybody everybody knew who Reg was. So yeah, it wasn't we ne- there was never a hell of a lot of um calculated PR um by Mambo. We just sort of generated our own as we went by what we did. Um but yeah, that was that that's one that I get a lot. You know, we go, Oh yeah, Mombasa, Mambo, that makes sense. You know, yep. people just drew that line between and no one ever really corrected them, you know? Most of the stuff that you ever read about Mambo was a false history anyway that was made up. Oh, wow. You know, it was just... It was better to be satirical or funny or interesting than to actually talk about what the real version of it was, you know?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So, the the dog farting? Yes. The iconic... The, um, One of the iconic designs. Yeah, Probably yeah. the one that sticks in a lot of people's minds.
1: yeah. Who was that then? That was Richard Allen. So Richard Allen was, you know, probably the original Mambo artist. You know, yeah. even before Reg, um, he he was doing a lot of the original stuff, and he really set the tone for the brand in a lot of ways. Like he, all the people that came afterwards, you know, obviously Reg had his own thing going on, but there's a lot of other artists that were involved, and and uh, a very good friend of mine, Wayne Golding, who kind of was the voice of Mambo after a certain point he wrote all the stuff that was in ads or on swing tags or books or anything that we did anything funny you read about Mambo generally was written by him um, okay. but he he even he i think would attribute that original kind of tone of voice back to richard and richard's just a yeah you know, really clever guy you know he's gone on to work with mark newson and he had his own label for a while called mooks
0: um i've uh, you remember yes. mooks i think a couple of my I believe I almost dressed my son in a Mook shirt today.
1: Well there you go. Yeah. So he yeah, he's he's a very clever guy. He went on to do a lot of lot of different things. Um but yeah, so and and he did a lot of the initial stuff, you know, the angry man, yep. the guy with the bone through his nose and all those really iconic you know, it's funny going back through it all now, which I have recently for you know, a few projects we've been doing, um how much you know how much of his stuff is considered classic mambo and it was probably done realistically i you know I, I i could be getting it wrong
0: but probably in the first two or three years of the
1: company you know oh, wow. you know
0: can... yeah cuz it does have a very um it it did have its own very much its own style like it was its own tone you could look um and probably in terms of uh, the way you think now in terms of branding yeah like it's almost perfect in that you could Walk through and see a design and go, oh, that's a mambo without necessar- necessarily seeing that written.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And that, that would either come down to, I guess, yeah, the sort of the style, it was the style of the artwork, but also the language that was used and the sort of the puns and things like that. Yeah. You know, it was always. And It had a sense of
0: humor. It had a it. sense
1: of humor. And, you know, I was, thinking, I'm, I was driving here today going, what's Andrew going to ask me? What's he going to want to talk about? And, I was trying to draw a few lines between the things that I've done in my life. And interestingly, you know, I was just thinking about it. And I thought that was pretty good, a pretty solid training in humor that definitely, I don't think if I'd have been there, I probably would have ended up doing stand up comedy in a lot of ways.
0: I and it's funny because I haven't really thought about it up until now, but there is a there's the the cheekiness to the humor of Mambo. Mm. You do have a bit of that cheekiness on stage, like in oh really? Of, yeah, there's okay. A, there's a sensibility. I'm not saying like you're, you're up there trying to.
1: No, like, no. It's interesting you say that though. But it's, I've never really thought but, of it. Yeah, like there's, that.
0: A, there's a certain sensibility that I can see. I can see in your joke writing, the jokes you tell on stage. That yeah. sort of I can see a line between that and the humor of, of that place. Of yeah. That, of that sort of uh, brand, because yeah, it okay. it's it's sort of. A touch larrikin, but um, mm. but also quite. Um, it's almost like a lowbrow highbrow humor, like absolutely a very smart lowbrow yeah. humor. Sometimes, absolutely, that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. There were some great manifestos that that Wayne Golding wrote that were you know that had things to that effect. You know, and it, and it was. Oh, I, I, if I if I if I had them, I'd I'd love to read parts of them. It sort of illustrated it really well. So, uh, good story, Scott. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but yeah, no, there, there, there was always, there was always a lot of thinking going on behind the puerile nature of what was happening on the outside, you know? And, and it could often be mistaken for just being fart jokes or dick jokes, but there was always layers, layers upon layers and a lot of belief, you know, there was a lot of things or, you know, causes that we supported and a lot of, uh, political, yeah, you know, it was a it was a brand that came out and was political, you know, and actually yeah. had a political opinion. I mean, find any brand in the world that does that now, or or you know before, especially like
0: a fashion brand, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the fashion, and you know, like especially of the time, but it, like even now, like you, you, you'd be hard pressed to to uh, to nail down the politics of any other fashion brand realistically Well like most I don't brand, know what Stussy stood for yeah, what my, were they about
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean most uh, most brands wouldn't dare to be political or you know do anything controversial or, or you know denounce religion or anything like that just because if you want to be you know big there's all these stakeholders that are involved you know big retailers and things like that and they don't want to be associated with those opinions and
0: well, and this is the thing, it's the... I suppose it's a... Ch- I'm hoping it's a change in sensibility that people are going with. We're seeing a lot more with the... Um, now, the, the in entertainment, is it, it used to be the, the whole idea was just completely broad appeal. Mm. Get the biggest audience you can. Um, whereas now, you're sort of seeing more in entertainment, like you'd see, it, especially with podcasts and that sort of stuff, people, instead of going for the broadest market they can, they go for a... A section of the a niche, a niche, but with the most committed, um, the most committed fans or most committed. Uh...
1: Yeah, well, I mean that's one thing that Dare Jennings definitely taught me was that uh, polarization is the key to anything. You know, yeah. because if fifty percent of the people hate you, generally speaking, the other fifty percent will love you for that. You know, like they'll they they will want they'll be. If you find the right mix, you'll find all these people that don't want to be those people, or you know, want to speak out against those people.
0: Especially too with, it, like you mentioned, the religious stuff. I remember the um, was it the the iconic Jesus, Jesus at the football? Yes, Aussie Jesus at the football. Yeah, Aussie Jesus at the football. That sort of stuff. That now seems. Um, doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, but at the time, at the
1: time, it was massive, man. You no know? one
0: was like because, especially now, like you know, now it's it's very, uh, you, especially for us in comedy circles. Yeah, very common for people to get up and bag on religion and that sort of stuff. Yeah, but that's you forget how recent a phenomenon that is. That that's was, true. Yeah, you were very couldn't comfortable doing that.
1: Yeah, poking holes in uh, Christianity back then was was a big deal, and there was enough people around too. We had a situation where. Um, we had a Nazi Jesus banner up at the front of our, the flagship store in Paddington, yep. and um, that was out on the outside of the building. And uh, uh, these guys came in and said, "If you don't take that down by next week, we're going to firebomb the shop." So, well, in true
0: Christians. So... <laughs> so...
1: I thought, you know, I don't know
0: where the love of thy neighbor is in that, but um... I, I believe the parable. The, believe the parable or the, uh, the, the lesson was turn the other cheek. Mm. Unless there's a satirical uh poster yeah. or a picture of me. Then firebomb. Them. firebomb. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. A lot of people only read to mm. the turn the other cheek. Yeah, but light, you... light it with the burning bush. Yeah. But firebomb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if you if you're really into your Bible, you read yeah. you read to the end and there's there's all that sort of stuff about um yeah, making sure you uh anyone that doesn't agree with you uh should be uh should be firebombed. Yeah.
1: <laughs> ah, well we've we've Managed to have our own pocket religion, it seems. Yeah, just or idiots <laughs> yeah. that use religion <laughs> to be idiots.
0: Um, yeah, I got no issue with religion. It's more the. Uh, Nor do I. Uh, you know, way...
1: whatever whatever gets you through the day. But, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. So um, so Mambo is like, well, you you mentioned you've been working on stuff for an upcoming project. Can you talk about that project at all? Like.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I can. Yeah, we've 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 made a, a documentary. Um, about the, the story of Mambo, like the history of Mambo, basically... Uh... Just
0: dispel that myth that it
1: was Reg. No, not at all. And I, and actually, thinking about it we, it, we don't even go into where the name came from or any of those obvious oh, things, fantastic. you know? So, I think you come out at the end of the documentary with probably worse perception of what it was all about than before you started, which was kind of our intention in some ways, but... Yeah, I mean look I you know I haven't worked there for a long time but I've got a, a massive still had a, you know a massive love affair with the brand and um it was a big part of my life and it was you know where I grew up so um there was a 30 years of Memo exhibition down in Melbourne that traveled to Sydney and Newcastle last year and this year. Yep. Um and that was just kind of coincidence. I'd been trying to make the documentary for seven years. So oh, wow. it's, it's, taken, it's taken a while to get up, but it's uh, coming out later in the year now, which is, which is awesome. But it's finished. So it's, yeah, it's great.
0: Excellent. So um, obviously this is, this is going to be out well before that. Yeah. Um, any idea of dates or where people could see it yet, or should we? You... It's
1: it, We don't we don't have an on air date yet. So, okay. but
0: but it, it'll be at towards the end of the year. So I think that's you promising to come back for another. Uh, oh sure. Another episode. To... Absolutely. We can do. We've got up. some stuff to promote. It'll <laughs> yeah. be nice to have a guest on with something to promote. As oh this man, i real just, show. i
1: just can't wait till it till it airs. You know, like it's been such a long time coming, and and it's finished. So it's just kind yeah. of champing at the bit now.
0: Yeah, you put. I remember you talking to you. you had, there was a lot of work that went into it, so it must, yeah. be, must be nice to... Uh,
1: oh, I'm sick of talking about it, too. You know, I've been talking about it for well, a good. long I'll time. Oh, <laughs> good.
0: I'll have you come back to talk about it. Then. No, be no, great.
1: but I'm sick of talking about the fact that it's coming, you know? because yeah. And people know that I've been working on it, so they go, oh, how's it going? And I'm like, oh, well, it's, it's going, you know? like,
0: But, yeah, no, it's great. It's good. So, that that's your work life. Mm. Hobbies. Now, that's mm. actually, that's not, strictly speaking, the only work life. You're obviously, you're a stand-up comedian that wasn't your first foray into performance? No,
1: no. I played in bands for probably about ten years and then did sort of solo acoustic-y stuff pretty unsuccessfully for about four or five years after
0: that. But <laughs> okay, so bands like are we talking originals, covers, what are we talking? No,
1: about? nothing but it mate I was a child, you know, it it was the nineties. You if you if you're in a cover band you were yeah, oh dude. man, dude, oh, cool. you've sold out. You're probably making lots of money, but you sold out. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I sort of it, it sort of started at high school. I, I started a band in high school, and then coming out of you know through uni and everything like that, I always had bands, and it was a big part of my life. And it, it's probably something that you know I'd stopped doing, and I would I would say fairly evenly that stand up comedy's filled that hole. But yeah, I used to it used to be the same thing. You know, I'd be out two or three nights a week watching bands or playing in bands, and that was kind of my life and and I had stuff you know uh, recording set up at home and I used to sort of record stuff and um, yeah just collaborate with people and just do stuff and and nothing of any particular notoriety or anything like that but you know I managed to support a few interesting people along the way which was quite fun alright I need
0: some names because I'm I'm just my next question was going to be what sort of style of music but now I'm going to try and guess from the people you supported yeah, right. Oh, well,
1: the more interesting people that, that I supported was actually when I was doing solo acoustic stuff. So, um, yeah, I supported... I su- actually, I was talking about this last night to Manny. I, I supported Ian Moss once. Oh, wow, Mossy. Yeah, yeah. That nice. was... And, and the best thing about supporting Ian Moss was yeah, I... Did you I, meet Tucker's daughter? Well, I did it on a Saturday night too. Oh. That's so awesome. it was it was pretty pretty cool, and I thought it was a I thought it was a bit of a stitch up or something because the guy that usually booked booked me for that gig like I just regularly got myself you know what it's like with comedy you, yep. once you've been around enough people just start offering you gigs and yeah. the, this this venue it was at, at the Brass Monkey at Cronulla, and um, that's a great little venue. It's awesome. A venue. It's a, it's such a it, and it still can, to this day it remains a great music venue. Um, but yeah, and so I just get the call every now and then and just go oh we've got a gig for you. You know this night, and 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 I and I had the they gave me the gig on the Saturday night, and Ian Moss was playing. But like in comedy, there'd be someone who'd open up, there'd be a second support, then the main attraction. You know, yep. and I got there on the night, and um, someone else was there um, that I knew, and and I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, so you're you're on second, obviously. And they're like, no, 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 you are. And I'm like, so I'm on just before Mossy, and I'm like, whoa. This is, yeah, so I was, that's probably the most nervous I've ever been. Because if if you're on first, the headliner, like in comedy, the headliner probably doesn't see you.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, well, they're, if they are there, they're not paying attention to what's going on. Yeah,
1: but Mossy was definitely going to see me play. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. I do, like, what I do is just
0: so... Crap! Compared to what yeah. this guy has achieved, like I'm just, I just felt like a complete fool. You're gonna take obviously the song you'd written, Mossy's a prick, out of the lineup. Yeah,
1: or? that that wouldn't have gone down too well. But you know, I um no. But, and then and, and I I came off stage, and we, there was a very small room behind where the bar was, where we kept our guitar cases and all our stuff. And I walked in there, and the, Mossy was just sitting there on a chair, and he was, and he he actually said. Mate, I really, lo- I really enjoyed that last song. Oh,
0: that's awesome! And
1: I was just like, oh, thank you very much, sir. <laughs> and he said, and he goes, "Can I borrow your guitar tuner? Oh, you can have my guitar tuner." Like I was just you should have said, I it didn't. Need, I, I just made a complete dick of myself. You should but. have said, um, oh,
0: real music, I do it by ear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you feel like you need a guitar tuner? I can probably look around for. No,
1: one. the worst thing was the guitar tuner I had was the same guitar tuner I'd had since I was fourteen. So it was like, I think it was yeah, the back of it was held together with a band aid or something. And I was just like,
0: yeah. Use that better than him, he didn't even have one. Yeah, well, that's true. That's Apparently, true. um, he uh, I used to live not far from where he lived in Sydney, I won't name where, but um, friends, friends of ours, uh, one of the guys I live with, friends of ours, uh, this girl's, uh, had a share house in, in his street. And every year that street would have a street party, and mm. they they told they were telling me that um yeah, Mossy would get out, and uh, by the end of it, mossy'd be out playing guitar in the street with the yeah wow with the people they they said it was amazing
1: he's that kind of yeah he's that kind of dude like he he's totally not pretentious or anything like that, and that that um that run of shows I was on the Saturday night and he'd done Friday and Thursday before that, like so he'd done a run of three shows, and i was I'm still am good mates with the sound guy there and he um i was in the booth watching mossy that night after i'd played and um the sound guy could usually just sit there especially if someone had played three nights in a row he'd know when a song was going to get loud or if this one was going to be softer and he'd just sit there writing the levels on the desk and we're we'd sitting there chatting and listening and and then every now and then he'd go oh fuck and he did grab he'd grab a, a slider and pull it down or something like that and he said you know what man he hasn't played the same song, yeah, this, any song the same way any night. Oh, he wow. Just, he said every night, it was just, it was like he was just, he was either challenging himself or trying to keep himself entertained, but in you know, if you'd have gone and seen him three nights in a row, you would have seen the same songs, but completely different versions of those songs. So he's like, last night he did this really rocky, tonight, you know, he was doing it like a ballad, you know, and... Amazing, like to to have that kind of range.
0: That is cool. That's that's something too that it have to keep him entertained as a absolutely, as yeah.
1: It is a performance thing. And I, I was talking, I was talking to Mandy about this. Yeah, you know, she said in because she was an opera singer, and she said every time an opera singer performs something, they have to adjust it just a little bit, not to sing it completely differently, but they have to bring something to it every time because otherwise they just fall into a rut of it being the same.
0: I can, uh, yeah, I can see how that had happened because I just know, like bringing it back to comedy. Like, yeah, if you got a bit that you've been doing quite a bit, yeah, after a while, sometimes you just find that you, if you're not in the moment with that bit, yeah, if you're sudden, just going it through just the motions, working,
1: yeah, no, and I, I it was interesting. Yeah, I, 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 was thinking about it as we were talking about it last night, and I was just like, yeah, comedy's like that too. Like if yeah, if you just keep doing the same bit the same way. It, And it's not about coming on stage and performing it completely differently every night. It's about a small adjustment, doing something for that version of it that's just a little bit different that has gives you that mindset that you're doing something for the first time yeah you
0: know? sometimes I feel like it's it's a, it's more about matching the tone of the audience like there's yeah. a in any given room you walk out and I dare say it's the same with opera or any sort of music or it's whatever. just
1: performance generally yeah the older it's... I get the more I realise you could there's a lot of consistent things between performance or yeah. writing or you know music or whatever it is and you can lay it across every version of that you know
0: yeah, it's it's almost like yeah. If you learn, if you were smart enough to learn all the rules to performance, work out those common things. Yeah. Um, as a young person, yeah. by the time you get to a to a middle age, you'd just be able to apply it to so many things. Yeah, yeah. Which, um, yeah, I, and and that's what I I feel like sometimes too. If I'm getting bored with the joke or I'm getting, mm. I'm not in it, then I'll uh, then I'll start just trying to chat to the audience a bit just to try and pull myself back into the moment. Yeah, like, so yeah. You
1: know, I would just use a few yeah use a few, I've tried to freshen some bits up that I, that still work that I I still love but did ultimately get bored telling and yeah. and, and, oh, and you can, the just, audience I, can tell. Too. Yeah, they can yeah and you can you can feel it as it's as it's happening and you so I I've been conscious of that and some of those bits I've you know just changed some words around or you know tried to add a new bit to it so
0: it feels new again you know yeah. it's like <laughs> So you you played originals in the 90s yeah. What was your style? What, uh, what are you... Like, are you grunge? What... Yeah, what it was... What years uh, it, it, days
1: it, did we start? Oh, well, I sort of... You know, early 90s, so, like, around... Yeah, the the grunge. We grunge. Halcyon days. Yes. Um, Yeah, so there was a lot of that going on, but, yeah, we were, You know, there was a lot of sort of, you know, poppy-punky kind of bands, you know, Green Day and stuff like that was popular at the time, so that was influencing a lot of what was going on, and I'd always been into... Even when I was at high school, I'd always really been quite into punk music because yep. uh, I'd had mates who had older brothers that were really into Dead Kennedys and Sex Pistols and stuff like that. And for a private school boy, it seemed also naughty, you know? <laughs> 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 and so anti-establishment there was like, you know, I look back now as like how pathetic was that some private school kid being really into
0: punk music, you know, We'd, I'd been through no adversity at all. Well, that's how I, I was uh, talking to um, Seren J. Amarna at, uh, at a gig the other night, and he, he does, I don't know if you've seen it, he, talk, he his show is called Wu-Tang Clan Name Generator. Yeah, yeah. And so talking about Wu-Tang, and he said to this audience, he said, oh, who, who's the Wu-Tang Clan? And there's a bunch of the the younger guys that, yeah, 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 like, you know, 20, 19, 20, 21, sort of yeah. that, that age range of guys. But they're all so very, um, you know, very much... Caucasian suburban guys yeah like that are you know I'm not knowing how much the about their background they're just in the audience but that's how they struck me and I was talking to him about I think there's something about um like you know for for white suburban kids getting into those sort of things it's always safer to get into the generation before of yeah, like yeah. The entry point like with punk like the entry point of the Sex Pistols or, um, that, the, the sort of a little bit before the time because it's played out. Yeah. But it's not happening now, so it's not quite as dangerous. And yeah. I, I think you're right. Yeah. Same thing with it. like, yeah, you see those kids getting into like, you know, that sort of hardcore hip hop and rap, like they get into, you, you start off with NWA and you start off with, um, you start off with, uh, the Wu-Tang Clan or whatever, Yeah, because now, you know, they're... You know, well, it's beige now, isn't it? I mean, and it's, they've turned yeah. out to be like, whatever they're singing about—the destructive stuff. You know that they've turned out to have careers in entertainment. Of course, they, you know what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah. The story's played out, so it's, there's not that dangerous edge to it. No,
1: yeah, there's nothing controversial about it anymore. You know, I don't
0: think there's anything controversial about anything other than uh, if you say the wrong thing on the internet or, or tw- on Twitter, <laughs> then, then you're then you're in for it. Yeah, that's exactly right. But um, so you're grunge i did you ever get into and I, I just only asked this cuz i've just discovered on um on pandora i, I hadn't heard i someone i someone mentioned the um the gin blossoms hey jealousy oh yeah, yeah. that song right and i thought oh, i love that song i haven't heard it in ages and i had pandora on on the uh, in the house so I, I clicked through and i found the gin blossoms channel on pandora oh yeah and i've yeah. had just now two straight days of I'm playing just listening to that oh man I, I i didn't realize i missed it better than Yeah <laughs> All those, uh, I think, they might have been mid to late '90s bands when, um, when you know, when uh, sort of pop rock became sensitive. Yes, like yeah, it, yeah. It equaled to, It was sort of the same time. Alanis Morissette and the the women in um, in music were getting very angsty and angry. Yeah. Then there was this counter movement of guys being very sensitive.
1: Yeah, that's. Yeah, I, I, yeah no, I, I, I was never. They were the enemy, you know. The, enemy. the Savage Gardens of this world is this this, this sort of See, stuff no, no, that you're no, talking I'm not about. Saying
0: savage Garden. I'm not going that far. You know, right. More still in the alternative scene, like oh, I'm okay. thinking the soundtrack to Empire Records more than the uh,
1: like the
0: Lemonheads and the Lemonheads. Yeah, yeah people yeah.
1: like that. Yeah, no, I was definitely into that. I mean, you know, the cardigan you, wearing sort of, he's yeah, the yeah, threatening guy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, oh, I found out the other day that that great, um, yeah, you know that great Lemonhead song. I lied about being the outdoor type. You know, yes. It's not a Lemonhead song. What? It's a cover version. Like I heard the original. Next, you're
0: going to tell me that they didn't do um, that. They didn't do uh, Mrs. Robinson. Mrs. Robinson as yeah. well. That's of course crazy. they didn't.
1: <laughs> no, but I, I thought they at least. I yeah. I thought they the at shop. least had done that, you know. But yeah. it, then I found out that's a cover version as
0: well. I'm like, who did who did that originally? Did you know? it,
1: I, it? It's someone. I'm not massively obscure if you're into alt country. Yeah, but it's an alt country song, you know. Like that was. There's a lot of bands around that time, you know, like, especially in Australia, like Custard and stuff like that, playing around with that alt-country yes. vibe, you know, like that first, I'm a confessed massive Custard fan. Yep. Um, that bored. first uh, Wahooty Fandango, that first album that they did, man, you know, that was just so great. And and Jonathan Richman, like, he was a sort of 70s, 80s, you know, kind of pre-punk Guy from New York that played at CBGB's, where the Ramones played, and all that sort of stuff. He did a country album called Jonathan Goes Country.
0: Oh, really? Yeah, and he just wow. got, he
1: got obviously got some money together, and he just did these kind of poppy, poppy punky kind of songs. Um, and he's actually the guy. If you've ever seen something about Mary, there's a guy he'll be up in the tree, sort of narrating yes. the story. That's Jonathan Richmond. Okay. He also pops up in that Woody Harrelson bowling movie. You know the with the Quaker kid. There's a guy who's a oh kingpins. Kingpins. Yeah, he pops. He's playing at the bowling alley in that because I, I somehow that to me was always just a uh, poor man's Big Lebowski. Yes, it was a little bit was. <laughs> um, but yeah, and there was a lot of that stuff going on, and and they all sort of I think they looked up to Jonathan Richmond, but yeah, Jonathan Richmond made this great album called Jonathan Goes Country, and he went to Nashville and hired like all the best. Session players, so there's just you know meticulous lap steel and all those sort of great guitar sounds and all that oh, sort of stuff, that's... just perfectly played country, but with his weird, quirky alt country kind we... of ideas.
0: wean did a country album.
1: Ween did a country. There you go. Yeah, Tw- this is what was I'm talking about.
0: Twelve golden country great That's right. Yeah, like. every,
1: everyone was playing around with it, and because country at the time was just seen as this silly. It was kind of seen. It was it was a parody of itself by that stage. You know the. Mm. The grand old Opry, you know, was these. It was kind of the the idol of its time, wasn't it? There were these weird, like just overly processed and made up girls that sang, you know, like post, Do- you know, way past Dolly Parton. Like they were just these dressed up in weird country outfits. You know, they weren't necessarily even from the country. I no, don't it know.
0: was more kitsch, kitsch, yeah, outfits rather than actual country mm. outfits. It was uh, like they'd bought a, a Calamity Jane costume.
1: Yeah, it was kind of like a parody of itself, you know. Like...
0: Yeah, I, I I gotta tell, you, I've got a mate who uh, I used to, and he'll probably be a guest on the podcast at some stage. Who I used to do a uh, a nineties community radio show called the Nineties Show. Right. Uh, which... was this in the nineties? Or... No, this was this was uh, oh, this would have been circa two thousand and
1: one, two thousand and seven. Okay, just just enough time to be retrospective. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like we were on the cutting edge of nineties uh, yeah. nostalgia. <laughs> But, um, we... Rob uh, Hunt, Rob, yeah, Rob Hunter would, uh... Oh, have, mate. Was Rob Rob Hunter's been doing stuff about the 90s or
0: the 80s? I think he's been... I think it's the 90s, Rob Hunter. Yeah, movie. I've I really enjoyed reading all those things he's written. But it's, um, it's one of those things where... And Rob's probably the right age, perfect age for the 90s too. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh... But that's, um, we were, we were, I think, the first... We used to do a segment, we'd review 90s films. Okay. Um, tell people to get them on DVD. And, nice. Uh, yeah, it was... It, it was uh it was good fun we we'd review a 90s album every week okay but uh john my mate who i did who i hosted it with um is a uh massive to this day still massively into old country right okay um, he introduced me to the Cocteau sisters yes um he's a uh was um uh what's his name bloody bonnie prince billy yeah yeah um, yeah who's the same person as about he's used um palace music palace brothers yeah, okay. Um, it's just the same guy who for for a series, and this is sums up that nineties that what we that old country um, sensibility. He changed the name of his band every new album. Yeah, awesome. So that it was almost impossible to work out who he was. But, I love
1: stuff like that. Yeah, although so, the, the Mighty Boosh. Well, when before season three of the Mighty Boosh came out, they were talking about calling season three season four. And that never having a season three, oh, that's just to genius. frustrate the fuck out of future generations trying to find especially, season three. Especially, <laughs>
0: especially for the stoner fan. Yeah, that's like you,
1: you imagine know, some kid a, in twenty years time going, pitch? "Oh man, I got my dad's Mighty Boosh DVDs. I can't find season three anywhere." Man,
0: season three, <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, but they they just stopped. They they had to take it off the street. The government didn't want people <laughs> to have it. It would start all these great. Oh, they be kind awesome of myths, pictures, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the BBC wouldn't release it; <laughs> <laughs> they burned the tapes. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I love that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. So, so you were you were more uh, you weren't alt country. Did you ever no. go alt country? No, no. You no. have you have one pair of shoes I've seen you wear with tassels on them.
1: Yeah, that's that's more Navajo in, inspired, oh, I think. You Navajo know, inspired. Yeah. The, the The people that all the the cowboys were mean to um yeah, i don't know why we're talking about that, but no, I just know I
0: just <laughs> yeah I just remember seeing you with sh- shoes with tassels on yeah, they're not
1: spurs though no, they're you know. not spurs they are,
0: they actually yeah in in that sense they're uh I would have thought they're more the the cowgirl than cowboy. Yeah, uh, okay. There you go. There
1: you go. I I knew you were going to work out a way to have a stab at my shoes somehow. Got the insult in. (laughs) Uh, We can move on.
0: So, music's still um, obviously a big part of your life. You still enjoy music?
1: Yeah, I'm more an an avid fan these days. I mean, I still pick pick up a guitar every now and then. You know, we... Been do- starting doing some music stuff for our show. Uh, yeah, that for, was good for fun for three blokes, which has been really good fun. And that's actually kind of yeah, it's kind of plugged me back in a little bit, you know, because i I wasn't bitter um, after you know all the music that I'd done, but I definitely I'd got to a point where I was a little sick of it, you know, because I've been yeah. doing it for so long, and and you do go to what end, you know, why am I doing this? I, I and I, and I kind of stopped enjoying it, you know, um, and we, you know, through the nineties, it was a pretty tough time like that was you know when all the clinton scandal yeah (laughs) no but it was a tough time because that was when all the pubs were shutting down their band rooms and filling the pubs full of pokies and yet poker machines you know when i first started playing in bands in the early 90s there weren't any poker machines in pubs there were there were things called card machines yeah which probably no one much younger than me would remember because they was only around when I was like 18 or 19, I think.
0: No, it was pretty much in the clubs, like just in the right. like your bowling clubs and that sort of stuff. Yeah, they, the they were allowed them. to
1: have these one type of gambling machine which was called a card machine and it was kind of like blackjack or something like that. Yeah. It wasn't like a poker machine. Um, and then, yeah, but then they, they changed the laws so they could have poker machines in pubs and even like the Annandale, like they shut that band room down and filled that room full of poker machines at one point. Um, it was really sad and... Yeah, but so we were always having to kind of make our own gigs, and you know, like just be really kind of clever about how we could manage to get on a stage and play, do what we did. You know, it was um, it wasn't easy to
0: get gigs. Well, but. especially then, like like once that once the gigs start to go away, then the um, then basically you're looking at a stage where two the the pubs start looking at cover bands. And as the 90s purist that you are, cover band was never going to happen for you. No, definitely not. But you are, you are you're a you're car guy, music guy. Mm. Uh, Sunday afternoon drive. One, what car are you in? Your favourite car that you've got. And two, what is the music playlist? What are we listening to?
1: Well, uh, yeah, I've I've got a um, 77 Trans Am, which is about as rock and roll as it gets. Um playlist in that vehicle on a Sunday afternoon um, is very vari- the, the variable is whether or not my fiance is in the car okay um, so
0: she's an opera singer so I'm guessing
1: uh... no it's not down she's actually got a very diverse music taste and we actually don't listen to classical music very often or she never listens sits down and listens to opera at home or anything like that um, as a, a you know a, uh, something to do for entertainment she you know she just listened to whatever we listen to but I do cuz the, the the Trans Am has T-tops like window like basically windows in the roof that pop out so Beautiful. um it's a convertible um yeah. so whatever tunes are being played everybody can hear um so it's down to what I'm playing is that going to embarrass her or not NWA
0: it's, Fuck the Police as you uh pull up at the lights
1: a little bit of that you know I've got I've got a cuz it's got a, it's it's an older car so it's got a CD player in it um,
0: I love that. That's now we're going. It's an older car, so it's got a CD player.
1: Well, I never originally had a CD player, <laughs> obviously, but yeah. But uh, sorry, when I put the stereo system in, it was you know pre Bluetooth, uh, not Kenwood, no. But um, yeah, and and uh, so I've got this CD because the, the the stereo that I've got reads MP3s. Oh yes, from a CDs CD. So it, I've got a whole like CD stacked with heaps of tunes and so it's just got one cd in it um and it's a lot of motley crew yep you know this that kind of vibe a lot of 80s hair metal that kind of thing because i still play from time to time in a band called big phallica which is uh a great name for a band (laughs) as my alter ego spurt reynolds spurt reynolds Uh, yeah everyone in the (laughs) everyone in the band has to have a name so there's like cherry poppins and Ruprex Smith and yeah, all, all they, everyone has their own sort of stage name, but yeah. Tell we, me,
0: tell me, as Spurt Reynolds, you wear like a milk moustache for the whole gig? Yeah,
1: <laughs> that that that's a little too illustrative, I think. Uh, no, I do have a great, almost Merv Hughes esque.
0: You're 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 probably quite surprised. I know who Merv Hughes is. Yeah, that's good for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you don't realise he's, he's a former Australian fast bowler. You just see him as a moustache enthusiast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I still know who he is. Come on. Um,
1: yeah. And yeah, we just basically, that was the first cover band I've ever played in. We, we just play 80s hair metal and dresser, you know, old men bouncing around in spandex. It's it's quite having a whole lot of fun. It's quite horrifying. But yeah, there's three guitarists on stage at any one point in time. Only two any, of them any playing of, lead? Or any of, any of whom are much better than me. So I can literally just turn the sound down on my guitar if I really want to
0: and it, no one will notice. Just know. enjoy being. Just on stage. enjoy being on stage. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> All right, Scott. That's going to bring us to our time, but we will get you back. Um, I want to hear more about the Mambo Doc when it comes out. Yeah, cool. So uh, we'll uh, we'll get you back. Obviously, we got you and I can talk for hours and hours and hours, no matter what. So uh, yeah. we'll have you back another time. But thank you very much for coming on.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It's um it's great and it's great to see your new studio. It's a, it's amazing.
0: Thanks. Very much. <laughs>